Hi, you are listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. You will be hearing a sermon from Pastor Jared Aron. So without further ado, here he is. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how much we need your word on a daily basis. It's daily bread for us. It's our sustenance. We thank you, God, for how you've revealed yourself uh, through your written word and through your son, Jesus. And God, as we open up Philippians this morning, God, we ask um, that we would hear from you. That we would be attentive to what your spirit uh, wants to impress on us as a church, as individuals. And God, whatever you call us to do, that we would respond with faithfulness and joy. And so, God, we pray this uh, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, growing up, um, I'm very thankful our family, we did annual trips and vacations. And just looking back, it was just a time for us to connect and to explore uh, the world. Uh, we, we did most of our traveling within the United States. Um, we had the minivan, we had the pop-up camper, and so we just go on road trips. And I remember one trip we took, we went out west for about three weeks. That's a long time together as a family, 24-7, so it's not always fun. Uh, but just went to a lot of national parks and just created different memories. And even though we were committed as a family to, to the annual family vacation, we were very geographically limited in one sense. Uh, when it came to international traveling, the extent of our family's reach was Canada. And, and no offense to Canada, it's a beautiful country, but traveling to Canada does not equate being a globetrotter by any means. So, so my parents, my mom, my mom, my mom excuse me, my mom <laughs> just got her, her passport last year, and that was a big deal. I mean, she hasn't traveled anywhere with it. So I love my parents, but so we were very limited to the United States. And then starting in college, God gave me the opportunity to, to begin to explore this world. I first went on a mission trip to Mexico, uh, then a mission trip to Africa, and then I got smitten for an Australian woman. As you could tell, as she was giving her testimony, the Australian accent begins to come out. And so my global traveling exploded through Yvonne. You know, with trips to Singapore and Australia. And Yvonne's sister used to live in London with her family, so we went to London and Paris. And I'm very grateful for all these opportunities to see and experience more of the world. And for the most part, traveling the world and being a tourist, it's fun. It's carefree. It's a gift to be able to explore and be on adventure. And your view of God's world begins to expand. And yet as a, a tourist, there are no strings attached. There's no expectation on you as a visitor to invest or commit to the well-being of that place you're visiting. But here's the thing. When it comes to the kingdom of God, 
And what God's doing in this vast world, he is asking more of us than just being kingdom tourists. Uh, to, to go from place to place with little or no long-term investment. I believe God is looking for men and women and youth and children who will move from being casual visitors to becoming genuine stakeholders in his world. And what I mean by a stakeholder is a person who is committed, invested, personally connected to what God is doing in a place around the world beyond where they live. And there's, there's nothing wrong with traveling and being, being a tourist, but we have the opportunity, uh, being part of God's kingdom, to do more than that, to give of ourselves and to invest in the great things that God is doing around the world. And we'll, we'll unpack this idea of being a stakeholder throughout the message but I want to begin by first looking at Paul's uh, relationship with the Philippian church and how he ended up in, uh, in Philippi. The book of Acts records Paul's extensive travels around the Middle East, Europe, and Asia. If you check out this map, it's a little hard to see. There's purple lines, red lines, but you see Paul is all over the place. One source I found calculated that Paul traveled approximately over 9,000 miles, probably most of these on, on foot, during his four missionary journeys recorded in Acts. This guy was a man on the move. He had a mission to bring the good news of Jesus to new places. And in Acts 16, we find out how Paul ended up in Philippi. It says, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Messiah, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Messiah and went down to Troas. And during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we went out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. The next day, we went on to Nopolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony in the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. I just want to point out what was happening in the first couple of verses in this text. First, Paul wants to travel to Asia, but it says very clearly here, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. And then it says they tried to go to Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So what is God doing here? God is putting all, this, all these roadblocks for Paul and his crew to go to these places, even though they want to preach the gospel there. And then Paul has a vision of a man pleading with him to come to Macedonia. So it's important to understand, at this point in Paul's life, in his missionary travels, 
God really, really, really wanted him to go to Macedonia and to end up in Philippi. The timing was right. And I think there's a lesson for us here in, in not to fight God's timing. I think this is hard for us. I struggle with this. When something doesn't go my way, when circumstances are preventing me from doing something I really want to do, what do we do? We try to fight it. We, we try to, to, to get around it. And I think often when circumstances are preventing us from something, we need to step back and let go and really ask God, what are you doing? Because often I think we're fighting against God's will and God's timing. And then Paul eventually goes to Philippi, which was an established Roman colony. And he, is, he and his companions stay there for several days. And out of this visit, the first church in Europe is planted among the Philippians. And over the course of time, Paul makes multiple trips to Philippi. But it doesn't appear like he ever stayed there for an extensive period of time. You know, in Corinth, he stayed for a year and a half at a time. Or Ephesus, he stayed uh, for three years. But as we look at Philippians 1, we're going to see how deeply Paul's heart was invested in this church. He wasn't just a tourist when he visited Philippi. He was a stakeholder. And he was committed to what God was doing in this community. And you know what? Philippians 1 is very personal for me. There's a reason why I'm preaching from this passage this morning. When our team was preparing to go to Bolivia last year, uh, God really put this passage on my heart. And I shared it with our team because it exhibited the kind of partnership, the kind of relationship that I longed for our church to have with our brothers and sisters in Bolivia. And on the last day of the trip last year, the children of Bethesda were putting on this closing program for us to kind of say goodbye. And one of their pastors, Pastor Edwin, got up and just wanted to share a few words with us. And he began by reading from Philippians 1. And that was one of those God moments for me. I mean, God was just uh, confirming for me that God is up to something with our church in Bolivia. And he confirmed it through Philippians 1. And honestly, I recognize the challenge that many of you have today. When we talk about Bolivia, a majority of you have never been there. You've never met the people we're talking about. So I know right away there's a hurdle for you in your heart to feel engaged or connected to Bolivia. But here's what my prayer is for us today. That each one of us would take a step to be more engaged as a stakeholder in God's world whether that's Bolivia or Tuba City or India or North Korea, the Middle East, Haiti, you name it. But somewhere in the world that each of us would take that step. So as we go through this text, be asking yourself the question, where in God's world am I a stakeholder? Where am I fully invested, committed for the long run, to the work of God in a place outside of Chicagoland. 
And I want to share three things this morning about what it means to be a stakeholder. I don't know why every sermon lands on three points. I, I try to avoid it. It just happens. So, so the first one is stakeholders in God's world invest in relationships that are centered around making Jesus known. Uh, Paul says this in Philippians 1. It's after his initial greeting. These are his, uh, one of the first words he's saying to the church. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Are you catching the language there? I thank God every time I remember you. I always pray with joy when I think about you. The Apostle Paul was all about the Philippians. He was so thrilled and excited about them. Every time he remembers them, it turns into a little dance party in his heart, overflowing with thanksgiving and joy before God. And why was Paul so excited about the Philippians? It says really clearly in the text, because of the partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. There was this immediate connection between Paul and the Philippians from the first day he met them. It was like love at first sight for Paul because he saw in them true and genuine partners in the gospel. I think we've all experienced this to some degree. If you're passionate about some, something, whether it's cooking or football or art or dance, and you find someone with the same level of passion and interest, there's an immediate bond. There's an immediate connection. And Paul was so committed to making Jesus known, and he traveled a lot. I'm sure there were lonely moments. And when he encounters the Philippians, and this church explodes immediately, and they have a genuine desire to make Jesus known, there's an unshakable bond in his heart with them. They are now connected forever because of the gospel. And this is no relationship of duty or drudgery. And I think for us, just like Paul, when we invest in a relationship that's centered around the gospel and Jesus Christ, it's going to bring deep soul satisfaction, abounding with joy and thanksgiving. But here's one of the challenges I think we face. In this age that we live in of global connection, which is truly amazing and fascinating, the problem is not opportunities to be a part of global work. The challenge is with all these choices that are available to us, where do we even begin? And I think we also need to be careful because there's a lot of causes right now that are for goodwill, charity, and humanitarian efforts. And these are all good works, but a lot of them are not centered around the gospel and making Jesus known. And so with all the options and the reality that we have limited resources uh, with our time and our money, we need to be wise and spirit-led and how we choose to invest ourselves. You know, I've never done archery. 
Any archery people out there? Anybody tried it? A few people, okay. I can only imagine if I was 10 feet away from that target, I'm pretty sure I'd be lucky to hit the straw. I, I, I don't think I would hit the, the dartboard at all. And uh, obviously the goal in archery is to hit the bullseye. And I wonder with our investments in God's work around the world, do we have a clear sense what the bullseye is? Do we know what the target is? I mean, for Paul, the bullseye was the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that led to this beautiful partnership with the Philippians. And I think for each one of us, if we're committed to a relationship or an organization or a church, we're considering a potential partnership, we have to ask the question, where does Jesus fit into this? Where is the gospel in the strategy and plan? Now, I'm not saying we can't give to organizations that are fighting AIDS or providing clean water. But I think we really need to evaluate them. Are they connected to Jesus and the gospel in any way? Because I really believe when we give our resources and our time, we need to strive that a majority of them are given to making Jesus known around the world in word and deed. Stakeholders in God's world are resolved in making the gospel a priority in how they invest. The second thing is stakeholders in God's world are anchored with a steadfast faith in God who starts things and he finishes it. Philippians 1, 6 really is the key verse in this passage. It says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, this is really the linchpin. It reveals why this great partnership between Paul and the Philippians was established. Remember back to Acts 16 that I shared earlier and how God clearly led Paul to Macedonia and to Philippi. It was clear that the Holy Spirit was leading and guiding this partnership from the beginning. And Paul is telling the church, don't forget that God inaugurated this good work in you. And he assures them with confidence that God will continue the good work in them until the end. God is the one that starts these partnerships that are centered on the gospel. And he will be faithful to finish them. And it says that Paul and Philippians were partners from the first day until now. And I'm sure they had challenging times. I'm sure when the Philippians heard that Paul spent three years in Ephesus, he's like, why don't you spend more time with us? But they didn't cut the cord on their partnership. They were steadfast in their relationship. And this is what stakeholders do. They hold steady in their commitment, because ultimately they know it's not in the hands of men or women, but it's through the grace of God that the work is done. And when obstacles come up or challenges present themselves, it invites us to put our confidence, to put our, our trust back onto God, 
instead of the circumstances that we're seeing. And I, I think I'm guilty of this. I think sometimes we treat relationships, we treat partnerships like what we eat for breakfast. You know, today you might feel like bacon and eggs, but tomorrow it's, you know, the chocolate chip muffin. Forget the diet today. Or the bagel with a good smothering of cream cheese on it. And then you feel guilty for what you ate the previous three days and you go for the heart-healthy oatmeal. Um, And I think this is sometimes what we do in our relationships with what God's doing around the world. One day we're so excited about fighting trafficking in India. And then a month later, we're stirred about what God's doing in Africa. And then you, you hear about a refugee ministry that you want to get involved in. And you move from opportunity to opportunity. And I'm not su- suggesting that we can't be involved in multiple places or that we shouldn't follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Of course we should. But I think we need to ask ourselves, where are we committed for the long run in God's world? Not just a flash-in-the-pan commitment, but a steady, resolved investment because God led you to that place, and you're convinced of it. And God is calling you to remain steadfast as a stakeholder. I think it's so much easier to chase the new rather than remain steady in the trenches of commitment. And Paul and the Philippians, they went through their ups and downs. But there was a confidence. There was a hope in what God had begun. And they were anchored in that hope. And stakeholders in God's world do not waver. They remain steadfast because they have that faith in the God who will start things and the God who will finish them. Okay, point number three, the last point. Stakeholders in God's world are personally invested at the heart level. Personally invested from the heart. Here's what Paul says. It's right for me to feel this way about all you since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. I mean, right here, we see even more the depth of Paul's love and his attachment to the Philippians. And Paul ain't no sissy. I mean, he's one tough dude that's been through a lot. But because of the work of Christ in him, He has such a great capacity to love and to care. And here, Paul expresses his affection, saying they hold a special place in his heart and that he longs for them, a longing with the affection of Jesus Christ. This is more than human love, but a love that flows and has been sealed by Christ himself. It's a love that can't be faked. It can't be manufactured through human effort. It's a work of the Spirit of God in us. And I I really believe we need to be wise and strategic in how we do missions work. Uh, There's been a lot of damage done 
in the name of Jesus, in which we've set up systems of codependency or imperialism. And I, I believe God is doing some great work to restore and heal some of the damage that's been done. Yet with all the strategic talk and thinking, we can't neglect the value of relationships and missions. And I love this about a church because I think this is one of the core values in how we do missions. Relationships aren't a means to the end, but they're, they're part of the end in themselves. I've seen this in Tuba City. Through nine years of partnership and service, there is a deep felt heart connection between us and the people of Tuba City. And I'll be honest, at times I think we've been fuzzy or unclear or uncertain about the strategy and how we move forward. But no one can dis- dismiss the genuine and sincere love that exists between our church and Tuba City. When I was teaching the first grade class at VBS this summer, which is a stretch for me being around little kids, but my heart was in it. There was a genuine sincere love for these kids that I was meeting, many for the first time. When I see this video, the children of, at Bethesda, it awakens those same feelings of attachment and love for these kids in Bolivia. Relationships matter. Bonds of love that God establishes between us and our brothers and sisters around the world are not easily broken. They can't be dismissed quickly. And this is part of what it looks like to be a stakeholder. There's a true investment and commitment at the heart level. And I pray that many in our church would come to a place where we experience this genuine, heartfelt, Christ-like love for a place in this world that God is calling you to invest your life in to put a stake in the ground and say, God, I'm all in for this place, for this people, for the work of God, the glory of God. And so I asked the question that I asked at the beginning, what part of the world holds a special place in your heart? Not just as a tourist or a fun vacation, but what part of the world are you willing to take a step to be a stakeholder for the kingdom of God. And if it's Tuba City, if it's North Korea, if it's India, I say go for it. Ask God to help you to raise the stakes higher, to grow your investment with your heart and your time and your resources, and to be an advocate and invite other people to join with you. But if there isn't a place, and because I feel called to be an advocate for Bolivia, I want to ask you, since you're at our church this morning, to consider and to pray and to think about Bolivia and if God might be asking you to be a stakeholder here. So I want to share a few things about Bolivia as we close and just some next step opportunities. And first, I just want to be honest about the challenges with Bolivia up front and with Bethesda. Obviously, Bolivia is far away. 
But it's not the geographic, ch- geographical challenge that's the greatest. I believe it's the cultural challenge uh, that's, that's the most difficult for us. And uh, La Paz is the capital city, the political capital of Bolivia. And it's in the valley of the mountains you can see here. And we, we take trips. We stay in La Paz, which is safer here. But Bethesda is up in the highlands uh, in El Alto. As you see the highlands as it goes up. And up in the highlands is where there's more poverty, uh, where more churches are struggling uh, just financially. La Paz has more European influence. When you're in the city, you don't feel as much of an outsider. When you go up to El Alto, the the cultural barriers are just greater um, for us. And so all this is to say that we're going to need to be diligent and patient in in building a relationship with Bethesda. It's going to take time. It's going to take people that speak Spanish very well. How many people speak Spanish very well? I'm just curious. I know we have a few. Julio, is that you? I'm counting you in. What's this? Okay. But, I mean, Bright Hope is our... um, mediating organization. So they're helping us out and trying to build the relationship. And one of my goals for us, which we need to do better, is just communicating more at Sunday service about what God's doing in Bolivia for you guys to continue to meet the people uh, through videos like we saw this morning. But the relationship, it's going to take longer. And uh, the second challenge kind of contributes to that is given the expense of traveling to Bolivia, we're most likely going to be sending smaller and less frequent teams. When we send people to Tuba City, we send like 30 people, and it's very open. Um, but with Bolivia, we just need to be wise in how we steward our resources. And so this year, we're not sending a team to Bolivia, and that's very intentional. Uh, really, the need for us this year was to kind of step in and help with the children's program and to really focus our resources on helping them out instead of sending a team. Uh, So this is another challenge for us in building a relationship. Not many of us will be able to get to go uh, to Bolivia. But my hope is spring 2014 that we'll send another small team to Bethesda and to to Wipaka to, to visit them and connect with them. Okay, so those are some of the challenges. I want to share now why I'm excited about Bethesda, what God's doing here, why, why I'm convinced, um, you know, this is a good partnership for us. The first thing is just strong leadership. I mean, you look at mission strategies, and, and people will send a Western family uh, to a place to uh, the Middle East or Africa, and you spend about five, ten years learning the language, the culture, and the goal is to raise up local native leaders to lead the church in those places. And the great thing about, you know, Bolivia, we have local native leaders that we're connected to that are there, that have been faithful. And Pastor um, Gabriel, David shared about him, um, but he's, um, he's been pastoring for many years. Uh, the children's program at Bethesda has been around for 12 years. Um, David also mentioned that he's connected to his denomination of Two to 300 churches. He's been the leader for the de- denomination for a time. He is well regarded in El Alto as a spiritual leader. Um, and he's, he's a lawyer by trade, 
Uh, so he's a tent maker. He's not collecting a salary from the church. And so my sense of him in, in two times being there is he's a wise, humble, spirit-led leader that I just, I mean, as I, the more time I spend around him and hear about him, just have more confidence in his leadership. And then Esperanza is uh, the director of the children's program. And she is so infectious. Uh, she is a warrior uh, for these kids. She's an advocate for them. Uh, and you can tell she's a gifted leader. Uh, she's raising up other people to help her lead the program, and she cares deeply uh, for the kids. So I have a lot of confidence in the leaders that we're connected to at Bethesda. Another reason why I'm excited is they're committed to the gospel. Uh, they're committed uh, to the word of God. Uh, the children's program is so central to their church, you really can't distinguish the children's program from the church itself. It's part of the DNA. It's part of the culture. It's their main outreach ministry. And as you saw in the video, uh, for these children and youth, I mean, it's a family for them. I mean, they're being invested into. Uh, they're being de developed. And I really believe, I mean, you, talking with some of the youth and hearing their testimonies, these are future leaders and difference makers in, for the kingdom of God in Bolivia. And the last reason why I'm excited, uh, well, there's the kids, um, it's just the Holy Spirit's leading. Um, like I mentioned up front, I didn't know much about Bolivia three, four years ago. I generally believe God has led us to Bolivia and has confirmed through the two trips that we have been there, just keep moving forward. Uh, to keep praying, to keep seeking him, keep being available to what he wants to do. So I genuinely, genuinely believe the Holy Spirit has led us uh, to Bolivia. And, and so to be very practical today, I want to just offer some next steps. If uh, you're at a place where there's not a place in the world that you're connected to, and, and you're feeling a tug that, you know, I need to explore being a stakeholder somewhere. How do you go about doing that with Bolivia? Uh, so there's a few things here I just want to offer up to you. The first thing is to give today at our bake sale. There's a lot of yummy items. Uh, I'm really amazed with the people in our church when it comes to bake sale. Uh, they go all out. Uh, one of our team members uh, from the Bolivia team uh, purchased saltenas, which is a, a Bolivian pastry. Uh, so they're back there. You can enjoy those. Um, but as I shared, I mean, one of the ways that we can really help Bethesda is just by financially uh, giving. Uh, it costs about $30 a, a month for a care for one child uh, at their program. And they have between 65 to 90 kids in the program. So I just want to invite you today uh, with the resources that God has blessed you with, uh, to be a stakeholder today and to give generously. And if you're not prepared to give today, we have a little pledge card. Uh, you can fill that out and still make a commitment uh, to be a part of giving uh, to Bethesda. The second thing is um, the kids at Bethesda have written uh, pen pal letters to our kids. And uh, we have about 45 of those. And uh, 
what we're going to do is we're going to set up a pen pal system between our seeds classes and the kids at Bethesda. So first we need to translate all those into English. Um, and then I think it's going to be a great way for us to get our kids involved. Yvonne is working with Jeannie on the pen pal system and, and creating that. But that's something that's going on behind the scenes. Um, also in the back, we have these um, prayer bookmarks. And it has a picture of one of the kids uh, in, in the program at Bethesda, uh, their name and age, and just a prayer uh, that Paul prayed for the Philippian church. And um, we have a limited amount of these, so if you're not going to commit to praying, please don't take one and throw it in the garbage because they're really nice. You know, we want to make sure they're getting in the hands of people that will commit to praying. Uh, but this is a great way for us just to kind of life-on-life partner and to pray for a child. That's part of Bethesda. Also in the back, uh, at, there's a Next Steps table where the bookmarks are at. We also have uh, little note cards, blank note cards. If you want to write just a word of encouragement or blessing uh, to one of the leaders at Bethesda, I think that would mean a lot to them. I think that would be a token for us, even if you haven't met these individuals, to say, hey, we're thinking of you. We're praying for you. We're standing with you. Uh, So that opportunity is in the back, too. And the last one, I really want to highlight this one. Because I think if if you want to be a stakeholder, this is probably the best next step to really get relationally involved. Uh, We're going to do a next steps gathering and prayer time two weeks from today, Sunday, September 29th, from 5 to 7 p.m., And we're going to just share more about Bolivia, more of the history, more about the people, and really just have a dialogue about how can we create uh, this two-way relationship with Bethesda Church. And so at the Next Steps table, there's a sign-up sheet. If you're interested in coming to that gathering, please sign up for that today, and we'll contact you uh, and give you more details. Uh, we, We don't know where the location will be, depending on how many people we have. So I, I'll just close with this. I really believe uh, at this time, uh, in this season, the opportunity is available to each one of us uh, to get beyond our own little world uh, where we can just get so consumed with our own family and our own schedule, our own work, uh, but to take a step outside ourselves. And to, draw, to put a stake in the ground and say, God, you know what? I'm going to be in it for the long run. What you're doing around the world. And if you have that place in mind, uh, I just encourage you. I mean, maybe, maybe talk to someone in your community group to, to share with them where that place is. If you want guidance or direction, I mean, I'd be available to talk with you. But if it is Bolivia, I mean, if you don't have any other place, uh, I would just encourage and challenge you to consider Bolivia and consider taking one of the next steps I just shared with us. And more than anything, don't do it out of obligation or duty, but just follow the leading of the Holy Spirit in your life. I I believe if it's something that you really desire and will pray for and seek, he will clearly lead you and guide you. Uh, So let me close us in prayer.
God, uh, we, just, we just thank you for this great, wonderful world uh, that you have made and sustained. You know, from the beginning in Genesis, God, you said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the whole earth. And at the Tower of Babel, when your people were disobeying you and being, fruit, being fruitful and multiplying and scattering uh, throughout the earth, you gave different tongues to confuse us and to make sure we were following that command uh, to populate the earth, God. So it, it has been your intent from the beginning to fill this earth with your glory through your people. And we, we know, God, that there's many places around the world that desperately need help. And the Western church has been positioned with a great amount of resources available to us. And we, we thank you, God, for what you're doing in the church in Africa, in Asia, in South America. How the church is really exploding and growing. And in many ways, they're teaching us about, about ministry, about revival, about bringing the gospel forward. And so, God, we pray that this won't be just an issue for the church leadership, but it would be very personal for each one of us, God. Knowing that as your disciples, we have the mandate to make disciples of all nations be a part of what you're doing all around the world. And so God, we ask that your Holy Spirit would lead each one of us, God. And maybe we're in a place today, God, we just have no clue where you're asking us to get involved. And I, I just pray for those folks, God, I just pray they would not run away from you in the confusion or uncertainty, God, but just would spend time praying and seeking you, God, and just having a desire to be a part of what you're doing and just trusting, God, that you will lead them clearly. And for the many in this room that are invested in places around the world, God, I pray, God, that you would make them resolve and steadfast in, in their investment, God. That today they'd be encouraged to take another step relationally or prayerfully just to stand with the people that they're supporting and connected to. And God, we thank you for the nation of Bolivia. We thank you for the churches there that amidst a country that doesn't fully support Christianity where the Christians are on the outside. God, we pray for our brothers and sisters in the church in Bolivia, God, that today as they worship, that they would be encouraged and strengthened, that they would once again just yield themselves to you and follow you to make disciples in that land. And we pray for us as individuals, God, that we would figure out how we can grow in our connection, our love for Bolivia that we'd first be invested at the heart level, God. That it would become very personal for us. And so I pray today that many would take next steps to be a stakeholder in Bolivia. 
So God, just all this, um, we thank you, God, as we pray that you hear us, that you listen to us, God, you know our hearts. So God, we ask that you would just be faithful in leading us and guiding us to be stakeholders in your world. And we just thank you for the privilege it is to be involved in what you're doing. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.